Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine, now hear me while I pray, take all my guilt away, oh, let me The words go, I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. This is my prayer as we continue our journey into a brand new year. Welcome to this service. My name is Hal Brady, and as always, my prayer is that you'll receive a blessing both from the word and the music. Why don't you just call somebody and ask them to join us tonight? That would be a good thing. Would you hear, please, now the reading of God's Word? It comes from two places in Acts. First of all, from Acts chapter 4, and then in later, Acts 11. Now, the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions. But everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. 
he sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now we look over in the uh, next chapter, which is chapter 11, and I'm going to start reading now at the 22nd verse. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me now, please, for a word of prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, always acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, which art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A woman was walking through an English cemetery, and when she came upon a certain tombstone, she stopped. The tombstone read, she was a great encourager. What a great epitaph. Better still, what a great gift we can bring to others. Now the church has no difficulty in remembering Paul, but sometimes it has a great tendency to forget the one who encouraged Paul. Of course, I'm talking about Barnabas, one of the great early witnesses of the early church. How much do we really know about Barnabas? When we first read of him, we read that his name is Joseph, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. Now, if he was a Levite, it could mean that he was very narrow in his religious outlook. He was a part of the religious establishment, but he was not. He was open, and he was very gracious to other people. The first time we see Barnabas is in the book of Acts. There we see him selling a piece of property and giving the proceeds to the poor and the needy. Next, we see Barnabas in connection with Saul. You remember Saul was the great persecutor of the early church. He was on his way to Damascus to persecute more people. Suddenly he had a vision of Jesus Christ and he was struck blind and it absolutely changed his life. Sometime later he decided to go back to Jerusalem. He wanted to tell the Christian community there of his conversion. But they remembered, these Christians, that he was the one who persecuted them. So they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Can a leopard change his spots? Hardly. So they didn't want to have anything to do with him. And yet it was Barnabas who came along and encouraged the people to receive Paul into the fellowship of the Christians. So he became his sponsor. A short time later, word came that in Jerusalem they were having some issues. So they sent Barnabas to investigate. When he got there, he found out that some preachers were talking about the gospel for the Gentiles rather than just for the Jews, and it disturbed some of the Jews. But nevertheless, Barnabas rejoiced that the gospel was for the Jews and the Gentiles. And Barnabas went a step further. He went a step further. He even asked for Paul to come join him there in Antioch to preach. Barnabas had no problem being second fiddle as long as the message of Christ was proclaimed and people were coming to know him as the Son of God. A short time later, we remember that Barnabas 
went with Paul on his first missionary journey. And undoubtedly, he would have gone with him on a second journey had they not had this discussion about John Mark. Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Paul did not. Paul thought that Mark had betrayed him on the first journey, so he was not willing to take him on the second. So they split up. Barnabas took Mark, and they went to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and they went on their mission to some of the churches that they had already established. So the point I'm making here is that Barnabas was willing to give Mark a second chance. And it was actually Barnabas that probably saved Mark for the church because this is the same Mark later who wrote the gospel, the first gospel. Now, all ended well because Paul spoke well of Barnabas and he spoke well of John Mark later on in his letters. Well, in brief, this is the ministry of Barnabas. The book of Acts states he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Barnabas was the name given to him by the people who knew him best. Barnabas means son of encouragement. And Barnabas has a message for us today as this world continues to grope for hope. First of all, we see the lessons of Barnabas, the lessons of Barnabas, this giant of encouragement. Barnabas was gracious and open. He was gracious and open. While attending the Southeastern Conference Basketball Championship, Carl Stigall, former pastor of Montgomery First Methodist Church, went to the game, and while he was at a concession stand, a man came up and introduced himself. This man introduced himself as a member of the Canterbury United Methodist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, and he had heard Dr. Stigall speak. He told him that he remembered a couplet that Dr. Stigall had used in that meeting and on that occasion. Carl Stigall was so pleased that the man remembered the couplet, but even more, he said that the man and his wife had read that couplet to each other every day for years and years. You know what the couplet was? Listen, don't make tragedies of trifles. Don't shoot butterflies with rifles. Let me give that to you again. Don't make tragedies of trifles. Don't shoot butterflies with rifles. Come to think about it, that's a good couplet for any occasion, any situation we find ourselves in. There's a story of a sparrow who was lying on the ground. This sparrow had his feet up in the air and probably was sweating a little bit. This war horse came along and said, what on the earth are you doing? The little sparrow said, I heard the sky was falling and I wanted to do what I could to help. The war horse said, you'll have to do a whole lot more. What do you think your scrawny legs could hold up? And the little sparrow said, one can only do what one can do. Wasn't it Mother Teresa who said, we don't do great things, we do small things with great love. All of us can do that. We can do small things with great love. Secondly, Barnabas had compassion on the poor and needy. In one of the churches I served, we had what we call First Saturday. It was First Saturday, December. On that day, we entertained approximately 1,500 to 2,000 guests. These were poor people or street people, people who had great need. Some 300 people in the church would turn out to minister to these people in their needs. And what we offered to these people was we offered shoes, clothes, we offered a meal, we offered toys, a visit from Santa, and we offered some other things as well. That usually went extremely well. Let me tell you something. Usually a couple of weeks after that, we would have an evaluation session. 
And I remember in every one of those evaluation sessions, someone would ask this question, what can we do more to help our guests on first Saturday? Do you know, to me, that was a Barnabas question, a question that was being asked about how we could better minister to the poor and the needy. And that's the kind of questions we in the church should be asking all the time. What can we do more for the needy and the poor? And then Barnabas took a risk on friendship. He took a risk on friendship. Cal Kent, who was an author, a noted author, addressed a prayer breakfast I attended a few years ago. And Cal Kent remembered one day when she went into a beauty parlor. And she said it was right after her son had been convicted of first-degree murder. She said when she walked in, she just knew that those other ladies were talking about her. They were saying, she's the, the mother of a convicted killer. What in the world is she doing here? But Carol Kent said that there was an eye plucker, an eye plucker who worked in the beauty parlor, who pulled her back into the back room and gave her a hug. And this eye plucker said, don't you worry, don't you worry. He said, in a few days, these people will be talking about something else. They'll start all over again. Carol Kent said she had found a friend, someone who was willing to take a risk. That's what being a friend is. It's always being willing to take a risk. And that's the kind of friend Barnabas was. And then fourthly, Barnabas was willing to play second fiddle for the greater cause. You know, Barnabas was not quite as conspicuous as some of the other people. You remember Paul was much more a great thinker and preacher. You remember Peter was more aggressive and bold. John had a greater relationship with the Lord than Barnabas ever had. And yet Barnabas was an inspiration to common people because he would go minister to those people and help them. And Barnabas never had any idea of his own greatness. It was God who made him great because he was humble and he served the living God of this universe. How very appropriate. And then Barnabas offered a second chance. Max Lucado said, not many second chances, three strikes, and you're out. Everybody knows this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world. But if Jesus came along and somebody said, in the midst of that mania, Jesus would say, so don't live with the dogs. Don't live with the dogs. If this is a dog-eat-dog -dog world, then don't live with the dogs. Do you see, Barnabas was a great encourager and more of us need to be like Barnabas. And then secondly, Barnabas helps us to understand that everybody needs to be encouraged every day. I'm of the opinion that everybody needs a word of encouragement every day. I'm also of the opinion that a word of encouragement can change a person's or a people's lives. We Methodists understand that very well. Back in the 18th century, everybody understood that there were certain classes that couldn't participate. Many people believe that the miners of Bristol or the alcohol-soaked people of London were not able to live out the Christian faith. They were not worthy of living the Christian faith. So John Wesley came along, and what did he do? He started doing some field preaching. He preached to the miners before they went to work at 5 a.m. He also preached against despair of these alcohol-soaked people in London. It wasn't long before Wesley began to understand what Barnabas understood in Antioch. He understood that God can find people who are not in the camp. The indifferent, the brutalized, God can find people who are not in the camp. And I think that's what the African Americans have been learning 
in this society for the last 50 to 100 years. Along with Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., many people have given great encouragement to the African Americans. You remember he said, I've been to the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people are going to get to the promised land. We're going to get to the promised land. And don't you know those words set out a word of encouragement? And suddenly the African Americans realized that Jesus could find them in their sufferings. And because he gave them a message of hope, it changed their whole life. Their faulty ideas about themselves disappeared. They disappeared. Now, I want to share with you something that comes from a book called Upon This Rock by Reverend Youngblood. This is what he says. Many have the Lord, and my own life in Christ forces me to confess that even when you've got the Lord, every now and then you need somebody else. That is not against the Lord. Sometimes you need another mortal. You just need another piece of flesh and blood talking to you along with the Lord. We just need somebody else, and we do. And to point out the truth of this, the other day on Facebook, I read where a well-known minister of some notoriety, this minister had sunk so low in life that he told his Facebook friends that he was considering suicide. Let me tell you something. Immediately, he started getting all kinds of Facebook messages from his friends, messages of encouragement. So you see, he knew the Lord, but he also needed a friend. He just needed another flesh and blood friend. Now, I've been reading a new book by Anne Lamont called Stitches. She's been dealing with life and the meaning of life. I just want you to listen to what she says in this paragraph. What saved me was that I found gentle, loyal, and hilarious companions, which is at the heart of meaning. Maybe we don't find a lot of answers to life's tougher questions, but if we find a few friends, that's even better. They help you to see who you truly are, which is not always the loveliest possible version of yourself. But then they comes the greatest miracle of all, they still love you. They keep you company as perhaps you become less of a whiny baby if you accept their help. Anne Lamont was talking about receiving encouragement. That's what she was talking about. I hope you've had one or more Barnabases in your life. I'm talking about some preacher, some teacher, some coach, some colleague, some family member, some friend, somebody who was there to support you and lift you up. In my own life, I've had a number of Barnabases. Oh, I've had some distractors and still do. But let me tell you, by and far, the greater number of people I have have been people who believed in me and who believe in me. Let me just give you an example. Way back in 1969, I happened to be the associate pastor of the 3,500 member Decatur First United Methodist Church in Decatur, Georgia. Well, it was time for me to go to a, a church of my own to become the pastor. I'd been the associate pastor. The question was, where was I going? Dr. Nat Long, who was my superintendent, he and I were talking almost daily about where I was going. Finally, one day, boldly, I said, Dr. Long, where am I going? And he looked at me and he said, Clayton, Georgia. I said, where's that? He said, it's up in the mountains of North Georgia. And he said, I want you to go up there and read some great books. Well, I remembered that that whole county had 8,300 members. Decatur First Church had 3,500 members. And I said, Dr. Long, I can read great books down here. At any rate, I went on to Clayton. And let me tell you, it's one of the greatest places to live in all the world. Some of my very best friends in all the world still live there. 
what a wonderful ministry we had. We lived there six years. But now let me shift to 1984. It had been determined that I was going to become the pastor of the Glen Memorial United Methodist Church on the Emory University campus. One day I went to annual conference and I was sitting at a banquet just finishing my supper and I looked up and there came Dr. Long. He came limping to that table where I was. He gave me an envelope and he said, I want you to open this when you get home. After that day was over, I went home and I reached into my pocket and pulled out the envelope and opened it. And there in that letter were these words, why is Hal Brady going to Glen Memorial Church? And then Dr. Long had written, because he read great books. Let me tell you, whether I read great books or not, Dr. Long was one of the Barnabases in my life. Hoover Rupert was an outstanding Methodist preacher. He said at one point in his life he came so low, he was about to stop, he was about to quit. But he said an older minister said to him, young brother, God has more investment in you than you will ever possibly imagine. Hubert Rupert said that was the turning point in his life, and that can also be the turning point in our lives. How we need a Barnabas to remind us that God has a bigger stake in our lives than we can ever possibly imagine. And then there's one other thing I'd like to share with you, and that is, like Barnabas, we too are called to be encouragers in the lives of others, in the lives of others. Everybody needs a bleacher person. A bleacher person is someone who believes in you and someone who lets you know they believe in you. Everybody needs that kind of person, somebody who encourages you. Do you have a bleacher person? Better still, are you a bleacher person? Let me give you this example. In one of the seminars called Born to Win, the man who died was a man named Zig Ziglar. In one of his seminars, Born to Win, whenever somebody would make a contribution, the rest of the people were encouraged to write them and say, I like because. So after they had finished one of the seminars, 11 of them went out to dinner one evening, and Gina, who happened to be on the staff of the Born to Win seminar, was with them, and she said they had an outstanding waitress by the name of Wendy that served them. And after the order was put in, somebody suggested, why don't we write an I like Wendy message? And so that's what they decided to do. So the food was served, and then they sat down, but they didn't have any forms, so they just used a napkin. And it started with Peter. He wrote, I like Wendy because, and he was very specific. Then it went around everybody in the group, all 11 of them, I like Wendy because, and they filled up both sides of the napkin. And then a little while they called Wendy to come back to the table, and when she came, they gave her the napkin, and they read some of the things to her. And Gina described her as having the biggest grin she had ever seen in all the world. And then that table applauded that waitress for three minutes, and she was just overjoyed, overjoyed. What was it that the woman saw on that tombstone? She was a great encourager. Hear me now. He or she is a great encourager. Not only a word for a tombstone, but a word for the way we live our lives. Let us pray. Lord, thank you again for this day and the opportunity we have of being together. Thank you for your word and both in spoken, written, and also in music. 
we are grateful of God for in every way that word comes to us. And we know it's sharper than a two-edged sword. So help, O oh God, to us to be receptive to your word and to allow that word to live in and through us always. Thank you again for your presence. Bless those who are watching and bless those who are listening. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you again for joining me for this service tonight, and I trust it's been a blessing. Tell your friends and join us. God bless. Good night. Shine.